Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. One of my favourite movies of all time uh, is uh, a movie, probably not everyone's cup of tea, uh, but Rocket Man, um, the biopic of um, Elton John. Um, absolutely loved that movie. Again, not everyone's cup of tea, but loved it. Loved how it depicted uh, his life. Big fan of his music. And um, uh, it gave great insight into uh, why he became the person and the performer that he became. Um, and largely it had a lot to do with uh, an absent father. And um, his father and mother quarrelled continually. They argued all the time and uh, divorced when he was very, very young. And uh, his father was a, a flight lieutenant uh, in, the, in the Navy and um, he was away often. And even when he was present, Elton John says that his father was, was distant and remote. And the only real contact he had with his father uh, came by way of beatings. Um, his father was very critical of uh, him becoming a musician and uh, didn't, certainly didn't want him to become a rock and roll artist uh, because that was the devil's music, according to his father. And um, he, he liked Elton as a kid. As a kid, his name was Reg Dwight. Uh, liked him to dress very conservatively, didn't want any of this outlandish uh, clothing that rock and roll performers wore. And, um, and that, that background, that father who was absent, uh, largely shaped who Elton John uh, would become as a person and a performer. And um, so Elton John, I, I read an interview uh, from him and he said that his whole life was a craving for love and attention. His whole life, a craving for love and attention. And uh, that played out in the public arena and we saw uh, the relationships that he had and, um, you know, the outlandish costumes, uh, you know, all the feathers, the sequins. Apparently, um, he says that he had over 250,000 pairs of glasses. Um, Crazy. But all of that was an act of rebellion against this absent father, this father who wasn't there. I want to look at um, a, a psalm that I'm sure that you're all familiar with, Psalm 23. And um, in this psalm, we're introduced to a God who is there. You know, Elton John had a father who wasn't there. In Psalm 23, we're introduced to a God who is there. And the first thing I notice when I read through Psalm 23 is that God is there when we need rest. Now, there's probably a lot of people here this morning who feel they need rest after the wild night that we had last night. Who was laying awake for hours on end listening to that wind and, oh, it was terrible. Um, but the good news is God is there for us when we need rest. There can be no denying that we live in a very fast-paced world. Uh, Advances in technology mean that we're living at a faster pace than we've ever lived before. And even advances in uh, technology in terms of communication, you know, we're on call 24-7. Anyone can contact us any hour of any day. Um, I have work emails pinging off at 10 o'clock at night. It's ridiculous. I don't answer them. Um, you know, family, friends, they can contact you any hour of the night. Scammers. 
uh, telemarketers, you're contactable any time of any day and any night. And again, advances in technology means that we're, you know, we're able to do so much more, so much quicker than we used to before. And so there's pressure on us to produce more and to do more. And, and the pace of life has just picked up incredibly, incredibly so. Uh, in fact, I was reading a, a study, a recent study that said that people, to, uh, wrap your head around this, this is insane. Uh, this recent study said that people today are walking 10% quicker than they did 20 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Can anyone relate to that? I, I, I'm a quick walker. This doesn't apply to my wife. She's a slow walker. Uh, and I tend to drag her everywhere we go. And, and she's pulling on my arm saying, slow down, slow down. I can relate to this. But this recent study found this. We are walking 10% quicker today than we did 20 years ago. It also found that we're speaking and eating faster than we did 20 years ago. Again, this is the pace of life that we are sucked into today. It's just a crazy, crazy life. But the good news in all of this is that God is there for us when we need rest. And no wonder so many of us are exhausted. God is there for us when we need rest. Have a look at the first three verses of this psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's interesting in this psalm that David would liken himself uh, or would liken God to a shepherd uh, because before he became king of Israel, David himself was a shepherd. And he knew all about the need that sheep have for a shepherd. Now, I don't know a lot about farm animals. I'm a city boy through and through. Um, but my understanding is that, you know, goats will look after themselves. You know, if a goat's hungry, it'll find its own food. If a goat's thirsty, it'll find something to drink. Uh, goats can be left for days on end and they'll look after themselves. But sheep aren't like that. Sheep need a shepherd. They are hopeless without a shepherd. And they need to be tended and cared for and looked after and led to these things. That's why on our weather at night we have sheep graziers alerts, not goat, goat alerts. Goats will look after themselves. Sheep need to be looked after. And in this psalm, David likens himself to a sheep and God to a shepherd that leads him to these places where he can find rest and refreshment and restoration. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, the picture that we get throughout these few verses of Psalm 23 uh, is one of peace and tranquility and rest. The... Green pastures that it talks about, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, the, the picture that we get is of a lush, thick, green carpet of grass, such as we see everywhere in Tassie at this time of year. You know, these aren't the arid plains of outback Australia. This is a lush, thick, green carpet of grass where 
a hungry sheep, a thirsty sheep, a tired sheep might not only find food to eat, uh, but rejuvenating sleep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The quiet waters. Um, again, the picture that we get is of peace and tranquility. You know, these aren't the roaring waves of the ocean that crash onto rocks and explode in all directions. Now, they're not the roaring floodwaters that um, wash away and uproot trees and houses. The picture is of a gentle brook, uh, the kind of place where I can imagine just sitting under a tree, a shady tree, and just reading a book and relaxing and being at peace. And in this psalm, these first three verses, David's a sheep, God's the shepherd, and God is leading him to this place where he can find that rest. Now, in case you're tempted to think that, yeah, that was David's experience. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's not our experience. God, right the way through his word, uh, implores us to come to him to find that same level of rest that David found in this psalm. Now, I did a bit of a word search. I opened up my concordance and I looked up the word rest. And it's right throughout the scriptures, way too many references to rest for me to, uh, to count or to recall today. But I'll just pull up a few. Um, again, this isn't just for David to find rest in God. God wants us all to find rest in him. And here's just a few verses. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14, he says to his people, the people of Israel, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In Jeremiah 31 verse 25, he says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. And into the New Testament, when God came to earth in the person of Jesus, he, he felt this same need to give us rest. And so on one occasion when he saw that the crowds were gathering around his disciples, he said to them in Matthew 6, uh, come to me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He knew the need that his disciples had for rest. But again, he knew the need that we all have for rest. So the universal call is come to me, Matthew eleven twenty nine. come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So it's God's intention that somehow in this crazy, insane world in which we live, that we will experience rest. You've probably heard the, the apocryphal story of a, a God-fearing man who was caught up in floodwaters, rising floodwaters. And um, as the waters lapped around his door, the emergency services came to his door and told him he had to evacuate. And his response was, no, if anyone's going to save me, it'll be God. And so the emergency services toddled off. Well, the waters continued to rise and uh, came up into his house and he found the need to get up into the second story and out onto his balcony. And as the waters continued to rise, a guy came along in a rowboat and pulled up alongside his balcony and said, jump in, mate, I'll save you. And he said, no thanks, if anyone's going to save me, it'll be God. So the guy rowed away. And the waters continued to rise. And so he climbs up on the veranda, on the, on the railings, and then up onto the roof. 
and uh, a guy comes along in a tinny with a motor and says to him, jump in, mate, I'll save you. He says, no thanks, if anyone's going to save me, it'll be God. So the guy in the tinny takes off. Waters continue to rise, so he climbs up onto the roof, the highest part of the roof, and the water's lapping around his chest, and a helicopter flies overboard and uh, drops down a ladder. And from a megaphone, a voice yells out, climb up, mate, I'll save you. He said, no, thank you. If anyone's going to save me, it'll be God. So the helicopter flies off. Well, the waters continue to rise and this guy drowns. And uh, when he got to heaven, he was filthy with God, absolutely filthy. And he storms the pearly gates. He pushes Peter out of the way. Excuse the theology of this. It's, it's not a true story. Uh, pushes, pushes Peter out of the way, runs up to the throne and says to God, where were you? I trusted you to save me. God's response was, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more could I do? <laughs> you know, we live in this crazy world. It really is all-consuming. We are pushed and pushed and pushed to the point of exhaustion. And amid all of that, God keeps offering his rest. Um, I will give you rest. I'll refresh the weary. I'll satisfy the faint. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. I'll lead you beside quiet waters. I'll restore your soul. Over and over and over, God makes this offer to give us rest. We're worn out. We're exhausted. But what more can God do? He's done everything he can possibly do. Time and time again, he makes the same offer. Uh, all we need to do is stop what we're doing and take him up on that offer. God can't do anymore. He's sending all the boats. He's sending all the helicopters. He's offering rest time and time and time again. Stop what we're doing and take him up on the offer. He wants us to experience rest in our lives. He doesn't want us to live in exhaustion. He doesn't want us to live with defeat. And maybe that might mean for someone here, maybe it might mean that you have to drop some things from your schedule in order to find that rest. Who says we have to be that busy? Who says? Not God. He says, I'll give you rest. I'll refresh the weary. Maybe it might mean reprioritizing things in your life so that you get that rest. Maybe it might mean being more protective of your weekends. Or maybe it might mean revisiting the whole idea of Sabbath. You know, we read that in the beginning, God created in six days and rested on the seventh uh, as a pattern for us. We were intended for rest. And again, God is there for us when we need rest. The offer has come time and time and time again. And if we're exhausted, if we're feeling worn out, maybe we just need to stop and take him up on that offer. Do whatever it takes because rest, real rest, is found in communion with God. So God is there for us when we need rest. He's also there for us when we need comfort. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, I can imagine David penning this psalm. 
Um, and as a shepherd, he, I can imagine him remembering that he would carry a rod and a staff. And uh, whenever wild animals came to threaten his flock, he would chase them away with that rod and that staff and bring comfort to his frightened flock. And again, the image that we get here is of God bringing that comfort to David. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in this psalm, David's essentially saying, even though I face trials and difficulties every day of my life, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I won't fear any evil because God is my comforter. So God's there for us when we need comfort. Most of you will probably not immediately recognise the name Derek Redman. Derek Redman was a, a British 400 metre track athlete and he competed in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Now, he was highly favoured to win a medal at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics uh, because he'd had so much success in this event in the lead up to those Olympics. Uh, twice uh, he'd broken the British 400 metre track record. And uh, the year prior to the Olympics, in 1991, uh, he was part of a four-man team, uh, the four by one, sorry, four by 400 metres, uh, who beat the Americans in that event and won the gold medal at the World Championships. Um, now, that was, uh, that was unheard of. No one beat the Americans in this event. Uh, but Derek Redmond was one of the four men from Britain who did. So coming into the Olympics, he was highly favoured to win one of the three medals that was up for grabs. Now, in the first round uh, of the first heat, um, he clocked the fastest time of any athlete and progressed to the next heat. In his quarterfinal, he won his event and progressed to the semi. But in the semi-final, um, he shot out of the blocks and 150 metres into his event, his hemi just blew, his hamstring blew out and he collapsed to the track in agony. Now you can look this up on YouTube and I suggest you do. It's an amazing clip. Uh, he falls to the ground clutching at his hamstring in agony. Now wanting to finish the race, he gets to his feet and holding his hamstring, he starts hopping towards the finish line. Again, watch this on YouTube, it's spectacular. Uh, but what happens is, as, as we're watching him hobble towards the finish line, over in the distance, from the crowd, we see a gentleman jump the fence and run towards him. And security run towards this guy to hold him back, uh, to keep him off the track, away from the athletes. And um, he's yelling at security and they back away from him. And what we don't hear is this guy yelling out, that's my son, that's my son. And he runs over to Derek Redmond, picks him up, gets his arm, wraps it around his shoulders and he wraps his arm around his sons and together they hop towards the finish line. Incredible moment in sport, an incredible moment at the Olympics. And when I saw that, it made me think, this is what God wants to be to us, to each and every one of us. When we need comfort, God wants to come alongside and lift us up, hold us in his arms and lead us forward. That's the comfort that God wants to bring to each and every one of us.
And when God brings that comfort into our life, that level of comfort that God brings is overwhelming. I want to, I want to hark back to a passage that I looked at a couple of months ago when I spoke here last. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And he writes about many of the experiences that he'd had in his endeavours to take the gospel to the then known world. And this is what he writes. <laughs> you imagine living Paul's life and going through all of this. Uh, he writes to the Corinthians, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. I can't imagine how deep Paul's concern was for all of the churches if he lumps that level of uh, anxiety and pressure in with all of that other stuff. Um, he had a heart for the church. But this is Paul's experiences. These are Paul's experiences as he preached the gospel. Um, shipwrecks, beatings, floggings, whippings, all of these things. But you know what? I reckon if I experienced any one of those things, those memories would score me for life. You know, if I copped 39 lashes, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget that. I think that experience would haunt me for my whole life. You know, if I was shipwrecked, once Paul was shipwrecked three times, if I was shipwrecked, I reckon every time I saw, you know, the spirit of Tasmania or the Sea Road Mersey pulling into the river, I reckon that memory would flood back. You know, if I spent a night and a day, as Paul did, bobbing up and down in the ocean, waiting to be rescued, again, I reckon that would haunt me. I reckon I'd relive that every time I walked on the beach. But you know what? These memories aren't the memories that Paul carried with him. He mentioned them to the Corinthians, but listen to what he bangs on about. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and 3 and 4, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. God comforts us in all of our troubles. In all of those experiences that Paul had, he remembers not so much the experience, but the comfort that God gave during those experiences. You know, when he was flogged, he doesn't remember the flogging. He remembers the comfort that God gave during that time in his life. When he's bobbing up and down in the waves for a whole night and a whole day, how fearful would that have been? Paul remembers the comfort that God gave during that time. And he goes on and on and on about it. Again, he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all of our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. 
For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Again, he's just remembering the comfort that he received during those times. Just in those few verses, uh, the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our troubles. Uh, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. He's not banging on about those experiences. I would. I'd never forget them. But he can't forget the comfort that God gave. Such is the overwhelming nature of the comfort that God can bring to us through whatever we're experiencing in our lives. And that's why Paul can refer to him as the God of all comfort. And he's there for us when we need comfort. He's there for us when we need rest. He's there for us when we need comfort. And finally, he's there for us when we need protection. Up until now in this psalm, um, David has been a sheep and God has been his shepherd. But that metaphor changes here. And uh, God is no longer a shepherd. God's a host. And David is his guest. And so let's look at these last two verses. Verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know from our reading of the Old Testament, and certainly 1 and 2 Samuel, that David fought many battles throughout his lifetime. And he'd accrued many enemies throughout his life. And the image that we find here in these last two verses of Psalm 23 is of David at a table. And God has prepared this feast for him. And in fact, God is sharing this meal with him. And beyond that room, outside the window, are all of David's enemies. And they're all peering in at him, wanting to get their hands around his throat. Want him to bring him harm. You know, wanting to add his scalp to their trophy cabinet. And they're all out there, you know, uh, Abner, Absalom, Goliath. All of his enemies, they're all lined up, they've all got their grubby little noses pressed up against that window, peering in, wanting to get David. But they can't get anywhere near him because he's under the safe and watchful eye of his host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God's there for us when we need protection. Some of you who know me might be, be shocked to know that as a young teenager, I was a bit of a smart aleck. <laughs> Don't you talk, Sal. You're trying to bump up the price at auctions. Okay. Um, yeah, I was a bit of a smart aleck. I had a smart mouth. And um, I started my apprenticeship when I was 15 in a factory as a wood machinist, uh, massive big factory. And uh, I had a little mate. Uh, his name was Steve. And we were two of a kind. He was a smart mouth too. And we would think nothing of, you know, giving a whole lot of lip to some of the older guys. And two guys in particular, um, we, were, we were both apprentice wood machinists, Steve and I, and these other two guys were uh, uh, maintenance engineers. They would fix the machines and keep them running that we would work on. 
and um, they were in their early 20s to mid 20s and you know we thought nothing of giving these guys a whole lot of lip we did it almost every day it was all good fun it wasn't anything mean or nasty it was all good fun but um, I remember one day we went a little bit too far and um, uh, we walked past we gave them a whole lot of lip and it just went on and on and on and the one of these guys I'll never forget this guy Leon was his name <laughs> he haunts me um, one of these guys said all right that's it sick of this you two blokes are going to get stripped and greased now this was first year of my apprenticeship this was 1979 this sort of stuff went on it wouldn't happen today if it happened today you'd be before a firing squad Okay, but this was 1979 and, you know, they rip your shirt off, rip your trousers off, leave you in your undies and cover you with thick black industrial grease. I tell you what, I was packing it. Um, the factory where we worked um, closed down every Christmas for four weeks and we were about three weeks out from the last day of the year and I turned up to work every day. I, I was as nervous as a poodle at a Rottweiler party. It was, it was dreadful. Every day I turned up to work terrified that this was going to happen. And it was going to happen because these two guys didn't mess around. And, uh, you know, day after day I'd turn up and I'd go home and nothing had happened. And I'd feel so, so much relief. But the next day I'd turn up to work and I'd be panicked again. You can't imagine the amount of terror. Unless you went through this yourself, you can't imagine the level of terror that I faced every day. And... Um, Anyway, day after day went by, often these guys would walk up to you and they'd grab you by the shoulder. Today could be the day. <laughs> it's terrifying. And um, three weeks went by, we got to the last day of the year and nothing had happened yet. We got through to recess, or smoko we called it. We got through to smoko and um, nothing had happened. Got through to lunch, nothing had happened. We came back after lunch, we walked up the stairs from the canteen and um, these two guys came up with a 20-litre tin of black industrial grease and just placed it on the floor next to my machine. I was terrified. You won't believe it, though. At that moment, no word of a lie, at that moment, uh, my foreman came along. My saviour <laughs> came along and he said, Brett, we've got to get this load out before we finish up for the year. Um, I'll feed them in, you tail them out and we'll get this done. So for the rest of that afternoon, I, walked I worked alongside the foreman. Uh, he fed panels into the machine. I tailed them out, stacked them on a pallet, ready for shipment. And these two guys couldn't get anywhere near me. Uh, I was safe. I was safe working alongside my foreman. My mate Steve wasn't so lucky. They got him. Um, but, <laughs> but who cares? Um, <laughs> not me. I could only think of myself in that moment. Uh, but but I, I was safe. And this was David's experience in this psalm. David imagined himself at a table. Uh, God was with him. God was his host. God was his protector. His enemies couldn't get anywhere near him. God is there for us when we need protection. He wants to bring protection into our lives. Every one of us will face enemies throughout our lifetime. You know, some of, them, some of us face enemies daily. Some of us are a little more fortunate than that. But nevertheless, we will always face enemies throughout our life. You know, your enemy might be anxiety. It might be depression. Your enemy might be sickness. Might even be temptation. Enemies come in hundreds and hundreds of forms and we'll face them every day throughout our life. God wants to give us protection from all of our enemies.
And here's the thing. God does not want us to live in fear of any enemy. You get that? God does not want us to live in fear of any one of our enemies. He wants to put a protective hedge around us. He wants to prepare a table for us before our enemies. He wants to protect us. He wants us to be able to look any one of those enemies in the eye and say, whatever you've got for me, again, enemies are inevitable. They're going to come. But he wants us to be able to look those enemies in the eye and say, whatever you've got for me, whatever you've got for me today, bring it on because I'm with my protector. And there's no way in the world I'm going to fear what comes my way. God is wanting to protect us no matter what life might throw at us. He's there for us when we need rest, when we need comfort, and when we need protection. Ask the team to come back up as we finish. One thing that um, Jen and I enjoy doing, we enjoy jumping in the car and just going for a drive or jumping on the bikes and going for a ride. And Tassie's such a spectacular place, so much good stuff to see and so many terrific roads to drive and ride on. The Bass Highway at Parramatta Creek is not one of those fantastic roads. That section of the highway is shot to bits. It's terrible. It's riddled with potholes. And when they fix it, it's worse because they become little bumps. And so, you know, when you're travelling to Lonnie or, or somewhere down there, you, you will be dodging left lane, right lane, left lane, right lane, dodging potholes and bumps. That's a terrible section of the highway. You know, life can be a little like that, can't it? You know, full of potholes, full of bumps. You know what? I'm so thankful and so glad that I'm a Christian and that I have God with me on that journey. You know, as I negotiate all of the potholes and bumps of life. Now, I've been in my 32 years, uh, 59 years to be honest. In my 59 years, I've dodged a lot of potholes. Some people hit a lot of potholes. I've dodged a lot of potholes, but I've hit a few. And you know, there have been times in my life when I've needed comfort, when I've needed protection, when I've needed rest. And God has always been there for me because that's who He is. He's the God who is always there. And maybe someone here this morning just needs to know that God is there for you. Life's full of potholes, but God is always there for you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you need to know it. You know, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow. God's going to be there for me again. He's going to be there for me next week. He's going to be there for me next year. And for however many years I have, God's always going to be there because that's who He is. It's what He does. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, you need to know that God is there and will always be there for you. All you need to do is reach out and let him into those circumstances and let him do the work that he wants to do in your life. Let him be to you what he wants to be, your protector, your comforter, the one who brings rest. Bring him into those circumstances and let him be God. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are to every one of us. I want to thank you that you're always there for us, 
no matter what I no matter what we need, whether it's comfort, protection, whatever, um, you're always there, and we want to give you our thanks for that. And I pray, Father, for any this morning who might be here hurting, uh, who might be troubled, and are in need of you in their lives. I pray, Father, that um, uh, there will be that reaching out today, and. Um, Again, Father, I just want to thank you for all of the things that you bring into our lives when we invite you in and let you take control. May our experience, may our testimony be as we leave here this morning that you are our God of peace and comfort and rest. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.